I imagine that when you uh, first came to church this morning and you got your, you know, little snacks downstairs and then you keep wait, worked your way upstairs and you came and you found your favorite seat and you got all comfortable, you were probably pretty upbeat. You were probably pretty happy until, until you opened the bulletin and you saw the word disciple in there. And suddenly everything changed. Suddenly you may have thought to yourself, but you didn't tell the person next to you. You had thoughts like this. Oh, no. Another one of those messages. Maybe you were saying to yourself, the kind of message that is too theoretical and just too impractical for everyday life. Perhaps you were saying to yourself, it's the kind of sermon that makes me feel guilty. You know? And suddenly your whole demeanor began to change like it is right now. Some of you are looking pretty sad. But, but this is nevertheless what, uh, what uh, some of the reactions that people uh, get when they see the word disciple. I don't blame you. I was there once. I was there many times. Because I probably have thought the same things. I feel the, and think the same things that you do when I hear the topic of disciple and discipleship. But the word, the word of the practice of discipleship is a matter of great importance. And it's also a matter of great struggle for everybody. Okay? Because it perks the mind. It strikes at the heart. It begins to go places where we don't like God to go. We would much rather talk about other things. See, it's important because after one accepts Christ as Savior, discipleship answers and addresses the question, what next? What now? What is it that God expects of me? Being a devoted disciple of Christ is important because it is what every believer ought to strive to be. It is important because making disciples for Christ is what every church should strive to do. You see? So it's a matter of great importance. But also it's a matter of great importance because... What a true disciple of Christ is and does is a never-ending process he or she will seek to become and do the rest of their life on earth. Now, does that sound important or what? It really is important. It also is important. It is that one singular issue that defines and determines how a believer in Christ lives in an unbelieving world. Another way of saying this is that it gives believers that purpose for living or dying. You see? And to me, that's pretty important. That's pretty important. It is also important, lastly, because it answers the question, how will I glorify God with my life? How will I glorify God with my life? And if you look at the scriptures, it's by being his devoted disciple who loves him and lives for him. You see, that's what's important here. So in this word discipleship, it's not just something that churches throw out there. It's not just something to keep us occupied. It's not just something to fill in some kind of theme or purpose for meaning in a church. But it is of utmost importance and also is of utmost struggle in all of our lives. Sad to say that today in many churches, discipleship gives way to other matters. Why? Because God's people are satisfied with the status quo. 
Why don't, what's the matter with just coming to church, sitting here, singing a few songs, saying a few prayers, going about doing some good deeds? What's the matter with that? Nothing, really. But there's more to life than just those things. God's Why? Because churches have uh, put away discipleship because God's community pushed programs and promotions in the place of real work of the Holy Spirit in transforming believers into being more like Christ. You see? Sometimes churches are more impressed and more uh, adamant. They are more passionate about making sure that everybody looks like each other than they are about making people be more like Christ. You see? And so we push those kinds of programs and promotions. Lastly, discipleship is pushed away in churches because God's people are more concerned about the size of the congregation than the spiritual growth of individuals. You see, it's really assuring, isn't it? I go to people, I introduce myself as a pastor of Grace Baptist Church. You know the second question out of their mouth? How big is the church? How big is the church? And at that point, I just want to scream. <laughs> I just, you know, I just I'll take a big gulp. You know, I'd much rather them say, what is your church doing for the Lord? That would be a much more relevant question than how big your church is. But you see, that's the way we are bent. And so, dear brother and sister, discipleship is not a luxury, but a necessity for spiritual life and growth. Lord willing, we pray God will use his word to challenge us to commence and continue on the journey to becoming true, devoted disciples of Christ. And that's what the whole point of the next few messages from all the way through January and a little bit into February are all about. Is to lay that foundation. And this is the first message of that series. Our journey is becoming, uh, becoming disciples starts with coming to terms with certain doubts and fears and reservations that we may have about discipleship. And so that's where we want to start today. Because the big question in everybody's mind is, why? Why discipleship? And then if after we've answered that, then we come back to the question of, where do we start? Where do we start? And this is where we are going to land this morning. So the journey to true discipleship starts with assessing, assessing. That's what the A is for, assessing or analyzing. And this is found for us in John chapter 6. In other words, what I mean by that is assessing or analyzing where we are with God, where we are with God. Much of the confusion about discipleship is caused by the whole range of people that this word is used to describe in the Bible. When the Bible says his disciples came together, when crowds came together, and among them was his disciples, we think everybody was a disciple who came, right? That's our natural inclination. Jesus had a way of drawing a crowd of people. But the basic meaning of disciple means learner, a pupil, a scholar, one who has, become, who has come to be taught. It is used to describe those who come to hear what Christ taught and backed up with miracles. It is used to describe people who came and experienced Christ's words and works. Okay? So it's used generally in that term. And so Jesus, like I said before, he attracted large crowds. Look at John chapter 6, verse 2. John chapter 6, verse 2. And as you read this, you'll realize that there are three categories of people. Three categories. 
And look at John chapter 6, verse 2. A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. All right? And so immediately it got the attention of the people. And immediately people began to gather around him. Well, what kind of people were these who gathered around him? Well, I suppose that if we were to generalize, we would say that verse 2 would describe the curious. These are the curious ones. Hey, did you hear about this? Did you see this? We got to go see it for ourselves, you know? And so everybody went, you know? And so these were the people who were curious. They merely came to hear what Christ was teaching and to see what he was doing. This is the curious. But there were also among the crowd those who were convinced and these folks came to see, hear, and hear what Jesus was doing. But they also left convinced that Christ was the Son of God. They, in other words, believed and they were converted. They were born again into the family of God. If you look at John chapter 6, starting with verse 60 through 64... You'll see this unfold for us. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, Does this cause you to stumble? What then? If you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before, is it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. And there are some of you who do not believe. And it says, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And then if you look down a little bit further in verse 66, you see the fallout from all this. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. All right. The disciples here were probably the convinced people. But even amongst them, there were those who weren't truly convinced. They were not truly converted. There was those who were truly converted, but they still departed from him because what he was teaching was too hard. Only Jesus knows who truly is and who truly isn't converted or convinced. Some left when the teaching got too difficult and demanding. That's what verse 66 tells us. And so you have two groups of people so far. Who? The curious and then you have the convinced or the converted. All right. You have the two groups of people that you can surmise are being part of this mass. But then there was a third group. Who is the third group? This is the ones we would call the committed, the committed. These were the disciples who stayed with Christ. If you look at verse 67, so Jesus said to the 12, he said to the 12, do you want to go away also? Do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. These were the committed people. To be sure, this group set a standard, a whole new standard. They were, sep they were, they were separate than the rest of the herd. They were different, okay? 
They were not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. We know later in the, in the Gospels and in the book of Acts that they had to learn precious lessons and they had to change their lives and they had to move on. We also know they persevered and pressed on and became part of the group that was described this way in Acts chapter 17, verse 6. In the New, um, in the New Living Translation, it says, Paul and Silas have turned the rest of the world upside down, and now they are here disturbing our city. Wow. So imagine this group of people who started out as curious, became convinced or converted, and then they became committed. Committed to the point that they were causing the world to turn upside down. Amazing, isn't it? But that is who we are talking about. So, the question this morning, I ask every one of us, I challenge everyone, including myself, is where are we this morning in our relationship to God? Where are we? Are we one of the curious Are we here to evaluate what Christ is saying and doing in the lives of his people? If so, good. You are doing a wise thing. Come with your honest questions, doubts, and concerns. Come with an open mind and an open heart. I'm glad you're here. I am so glad you're here. I am trusting that God is going to answer some of your questions that only you know and I have no clue of. But I hope that God will answer them for you. Perhaps you are one of the con- we are you are one of the convinced or converted. Perhaps you have accepted Christ as your savior. You know and believe with all your heart that you have sinned against God and that Christ died on the cross and rose again from the grave to pay for your sins, making forgiveness of sins and eternal life a reality. And you know in your heart that by faith you can accept God's gift of salvation by believing in Jesus Christ. Maybe perhaps you're another one of those who has been convinced. You have even been baptized. You're a member of a church and maybe you even serve in a ministry. But could there be more that God has for us? Are you committed? Perhaps you've come to the point in your life that you will follow Christ making him the ruler of your life. All that you you have belongs to him. All your abilities, hopes, dreams, ambitions, goals, and passions and desires, you lay at his feet. And you say, Lord, do with me as you wish. I oftentimes reminisce. You know, at my age, you can reminisce, okay? If you can reminisce, that's a blessing because most of the time you can't remember anything, all right? And so I remember the Star Wars. You know, they had all these different series of Star Wars. And I remember one of the captains, I think it was Captain Picard. And he would always, you know, they would, you know what always so the, the second in command would say, Captain, we have to do this, that, or the other. What would Captain Picard say? He would say, make it so. You know, and I often think sometimes that that's what I would like to see Jesus say to me, you know, in our daily life. He would say, make it so make it so or I would say to him make it so I would do whatever he wants me to do you see that's the heartbeat of the committed person he submits all of these things his dreams ambition goals passions and desires to the Lord now this I'll admit is not an easy assessment 
It's not a comfortable one. I wonder how many of us will really walk out of here today and set time aside with the Lord today or very quickly, very soon. And we would say before the Lord, where am I with the Lord? Am I just curious? Am I truly convinced and, and, and converted? Am I truly committed to Jesus Christ? You've got to make that assessment. This happened to me early on as a young person. I went to a retreat in California, as our church normally did, and I gave my life to Christ. And it just so happens it was the same camp that my wife gave her life to Christ, too. And so we reflected on that. And I remember those days that we were so hot to go for the Lord. Anything, oh, Lord, you know, and we sing mission songs and everything and all that kind of stuff. And we were ready to go. We were ready to go. Then we come back from camp. Oh, boy, you know. Then it would, the testing would really start. And I have to confess to you that many times I had to go before the Lord and reassess where I was with God. How serious is he? And I still do that. I still do that because of the challenges we face. It's not an easy, it's not an easy path. Okay. So I encourage you, if you haven't done this, at the start of this new year, assess your relationship with God. Assess it and try to come to some conclusion about who you are. Are you curious, convinced, or are you committed? And then the second thing is that the next step is to move from assessing to believing. The journey to true discipleship starts with believing. This is found in Matthew chapter 11. Join me in cha- Matthew chapter 11, will you please? In Matthew chapter 11, it says this in verses 28 to 30. 28 to 30. It says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest. For your souls, he says. And then in verse 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, people who have studied this particular passage realize that there is a portrait of a disciple who's kind, that's kind of sketched out for us here. But it's still not an easy portrait for us to understand or identify with. Why? Because for many, for any number of reasons, believers in Christ think that the call to discipleship is only for a chosen few. We somehow got the idea that God has a group of people that we would call commandos for Christ. We have this idea that there are these people who are, quote, the green berets or the delta force of Christianity. And we usually associate them with missionaries, pastors, and evangelists, perhaps elders and deacons, perhaps Sunday school teachers. We say, that, 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 that discipleship is for them. It's for that group of people. It's not for all of us, so to speak. But if you look carefully at Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, you see Christ's call to all to be his disciples. Not all meaning those who are at least convinced, okay? Those who are convinced and converted. 
And so look, first of all, at who he was addressing. Look at verse 28. And he says, come to me all who are weary and heaven laden. Okay, all. Last time I looked at the word all, it means all of us <laughs> who know Christ. He says all to all who would be disciples. When he refers to the weary and heavy laden, he was referring to the people of God who were under the yoke of the law, uh, the, the, the Jewish law, who were under the, the law of Moses and the Pharisees, in which there were 365 prohibitions and 250 commandments. It was very oppressive. Jesus knew who he was talking to. He knew that these were people who wanted to walk with God, knew about God, but they were just worn out. They were just worn out. And he says, come unto me, all of you. And then not only look at who he was addressing, but look at what he was saying in verse 29. He says, take my yoke upon you and follow me. Take my yoke upon me. How? Learn from me. Let me teach you. Let me teach you. So Jesus was saying to you, follow me, but you will do it as you learn from me. That is what he was saying. But look, lastly, in verses 29 to 30, it says, look at where he would take them, where he would take them. You shall find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my load is light. You will find rest for your souls. You know, sometimes all of us here are so busy trying to act like Christians that we have we struggle with being Christians, don't we? We want to make sure our hair is the right length. We want to make sure our clothes are the right kind of cut and everything like that. We want to make sure that we stand up and sit down at the right moment in services. All of these kinds of things. We want to act like Christians. We want to make sure that when we pray, everybody else is listening. And God may not, but we're, everybody else is listening, right? And so we're so busy with all of that stuff. He says, come and rest. Follow me. Take my yoke upon you. One very helpful illustration was given by one of the commentators. And he said that he had the vision of a farmer and his oxen and a a team of oxen. All right. And so you notice that those who could afford it would have a team of oxen. Why? They would have two. They would have the veteran oxen. All right. They would have the veteran ox. And then beside him, they would have the new ox, the newbie on the block. And they would strap them together. And the veteran ox would take, would take the lead, and the other ox was just sort of along for the ride, so to speak. But then slowly, slowly, the young ox began to take more of the load, and take more of the load, and then they could take the veteran oxen off, you see? And so this was kind of the image that was given here, that the that Jesus Christ was saying, come learn with me, come learn with me, let me teach you. Soon you'll be on your own and you'll be teaching others. That was the image that Jesus was, ta- was giving them. The call to discipleship to follow Christ is to all those who would be his true disciples. And so if you're sitting there and you're saying to us, like I, like I did many, many, for many, many years, I sat there, I took it all in, but I didn't do anything with it. You see? But God wants all of us to be his true disciples. All true disciples must believe and accept Christ's call to be a disciple, to be God's call for all of them, not just some of them. So you got to do an assessment. Where am I with God? Where am I with God? Then you have to believe 
that the call to discipleship is for all of us, including yourself. Until you overcome those two things, until you make those two things happen, you're always going to be uncomfortable whenever you walk into a church and you see the word disciple or discipleship flash up on the screen. You're always going to be uncomfortable. You're always going to say, oh, too impractical. Oh, he makes me feel guilty. All that kind of stuff. No, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. So do the assessment. Do the assessing. Do the believing. And then, thirdly, the last thing. The journey to becoming a true disciple starts with committing. Starts with committing. Committing ourselves to Christ to be his disciples. Believers in Christ often believe that the spiritual life begins and ends with them getting baptized, joining a church, serving in some way in the church, or doing some good deed for God at home, school, or in the community. Okay? People say, hey, I'm being a good Christian. You know, I'm being a good Christian. Now, let me quickly say that there's nothing wrong with those things. Absolutely not. I praise God if that's what you're doing. I wish that our tribe would increase and that more and more of us would be doing those things. However, however, let's look at Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. 